Well, we're going to continue on in our series. It's called Called, um, Disciples That Make Disciples. And we want to be really clear about why we're doing this. We want, to, we want you to understand what a disciple is. We want you to understand why that's such a big focal point here at Journey. But we also want you to understand how you can be a part of this being a disciple, but also then making more disciples. We really do believe it's, it's a big deal. So what is a disciple? Uh, for many of us, we can think that this is like a, a really big term, that this is for some religious elite crowd that get to be disciples. And I hope that, that what we talk about today and what we see through God's Word uh, kind of debunks that thought in our head, because from the group of guys that Jesus calls to be his own disciples, they are far from an elite crowd. They are normal, common, everyday fishermen. And so our definition of what we talk about a disciple being, it comes from Matthew 4.19, where it says, uh, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so we, we, we see three things from being a disciple. Is a disciple somebody that follows Jesus, right? Follow me and I'm going to make you. The I'm going to make you part says that, that Jesus is going to be doing something in you. You are being changed by Jesus. And then the third thing is that you live on mission for Jesus. That when he makes you a fisher of men, he's going to send you out to go be a part of this task. So we b- believe that this is really important because this, this call to be a disciple is for each and every one of us. There, there's not any one of us that is outside of this group. So I hope that you understand if you are a Christian, a Christ follower, you are called to be a disciple. And that disciple goes out and does other things, right? That we are called to go make disciples. So this task is for each and every one of us. But today I hope that we kind of dive into this last part of how do we do this? How do, how do we actually be a good disciple? And how, how do we then make other disciples? Part of this process is, is kind of the idea of being an, an apprentice. Somebody that, that learns from somebody else that's been there, done that. And um, we get to take notes and learn to do it ourselves. I don't know if many of you, do you remember who taught you to drive a car? How many, was it your dad? Okay, quite a few hands. Mom? Somebody else? If it was a friend, just like, I got you, let's go. Uh, my, my dad taught me to drive, and I'm very thankful he did. He, he, he taught me to drive well, even in snowy conditions. But there was a lot of rules that went with that. He was a stickler, and there's a lot of phrases that I can still hear go through my head as we're driving. But part of this process of being the apprentice, like you have to sit and watch, and he explains what are these, how do these functions work. Like I was talking with Samantha. She said, I know there's two pedals. I don't remember which one does what. It's like those are important things to learn. Which is the gas? Which is the brake? We still have conversations to be had. Uh, but learning those things, like, what, how does everything function? It's like, I, I'm learning this, and then all of a sudden, one day, he says, you know, we're on some backcountry road where I can hurt nothing. And he's like, all right, we're going to switch spots. And it's like, yes, finally. And so then you take over, and, and immediately, you go, okay, take it easy on the accelerator. I mean, let's, you know, not get, go overboard. All right, let's slow down. Okay, okay, let's keep it smooth here. Not too many of these moments of, like, grasp for the handle or anything. And I only remember once in my life, my dad reached across the car, grabbed the wheel to make a correction that he thought I wasn't doing fast enough, right? But what happens 20 years later when we hop in the car and my dad's over here? And the phrase I remember the most from my dad teaching me to drive was, he'd say, I'm getting seasick over here. 
And it was, it was the, the driving, you know, you touch this line, and then you just touch this line. And you, you're just like, I'm keeping it between the lines. We're barely touching them both, but apparently it's making him seasick. But what, what if I'm going for a ride with my dad today, and we get in the car, and it's like, whoa, take, take it easy there. Let's not, let's not get overboard. And he starts giving me these same instructions that he gave me 20 years ago. And what if he reaches over across the car to grab the wheel out of my hands at this point? There'd be some moments, I think, today that I'd be like, okay, well, this is where I make that nice smooth stop. Gently open my door, go around the car, open my dad's door, and say, here you go. Right? Like, I'd be ready to say, if this is how we're going to drive, you might want to drive yourself. Because I think I, at this point I'm going, I think I believe I know what I'm doing. But is there still things I can learn from my dad as he's the one teaching me to do this? And I had to, to really listen in and hear what my dad's telling me so that I can drive a car safely. And I think as we look at today, at what Jesus tells us and how he leads us to be better disciples, I think we have to lean in. We have to listen carefully because there's no better person we could learn from of how to truly be a disciple. So before we dive in, let's pray, and then uh, we'll look at Luke chapter 5. God, we're so thankful for the time that we get to spend today here in your word. God, I ask that you would just open up our hearts to be receptive to what you hear, that we not be defensive and, and trying to push you away, but instead, God, we let you get close, that we would hear from you and how we can better be a disciple. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to open up in your Bibles or if you have the app with you, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5. 1 through 11 is the whole section that we're looking at. And we're really going to see what happens if you let Jesus get close. That's kind of the whole, this whole idea for today's sermon is letting Jesus get close. And so we're going to look at these, look at these verses. And the very first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus, if you let Jesus get close... He's probably going to make a request. So Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee that we normally, talk, uh, we normally call the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and si- called Simon Peter, um, same person here. Uh, so he gets into Simon Peter's boat, and he asked him to put out uh, a little bit from the land, and he sat down, and he began to teach from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to, P- to Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. I'm going to stop right there, because I think at this point, I want us to remember Some of these disciples that Simon Peter and James and John that are also with them fishing, that they've already met Jesus at this point. They've gotten to know him a bit, um, but at this point, Jesus is going to make a request of them, and Simon Peter specifically, as they go out into the boat, uh, really, Jesus is going to see, is Simon Peter going to allow Jesus to get close? Is he going to listen to this request that's being made? Because this is going to be a life-changing moment for Peter. So these fishermen are out washing their nets. Uh, They weren't using fishing poles, but they were, instead they would have these nets that were huge and they would put them out in the water to then catch the fish. And it was always in the cool of the evening that the fish would come up. And I'm telling you more than I know, I'm a terrible fisherman. Uh, We did, I did not fish as a kid. We had jet skis, 
that's far more my speed. So the fishing, though, is like they would they'd go fishing at night because that's when the fish come up to the top. When it gets hot out, the fish either go deep or they find some shaded area, and so they would fish at night. And so they'd be out there fishing at night, and then at the daytime, as the day would break, they'd come back in to bring in their whole load of fish, hopefully. But it said that their, their nets were empty. So they had been bringing these nets in, and then they would wash them, mend them, they would spread them out, dry them, fold them, and put them away for the night. But th- this task was, it was exhausting because these nets were big, they were heavy, and it was something they had been casting these nets all night long, bringing them in, casting them out, bringing them in. A lot of work. And you, like I said, I'm a bad fisherman. That's why I don't fish, because I came up with the same results. I've caught nothing, just like they did. And so after a whole night of this backbreaking work, they come in having nothing to show for it. And then Jesus asks them to go out. They've just made all these the washings, the repairs. They've just gotten everything put away. And Jesus asks to go out in the water. So Jesus is using the water as a natural amphitheater. The crowds had gotten so big already, and this is still early in Jesus' ministry. He's not even yet called the disciples, but people are saying something's different. They're, they're pressing in to hear what Jesus has to say so that he gets in this boat, goes out in the water to let the water bounce the sound so that he can reach more people with his words. He's using this as an amphitheater. But Jesus, I think, is using this time more than just teaching a lesson because that lesson is a short part of what's being told here. He teaches a lesson, but I think he's also showing a lesson with his time with Peter in the boat. Because you have to remember that even though Jesus is teaching this lesson that we know very little about, he teaches this lesson, and then he turns aside to Peter and has this conversation, all of which is still being spread back to shore. They can hear everything that's going on. They can hear what Jesus is saying to Peter. So at this point, Peter's probably, I assume, maybe a little bit annoyed after this long day of catching nothing, feeling like the day has just been a complete waste, and then Jesus asks to go out. He asks Peter to, to go out into the deep and then put down your nets for a catch. He's just gotten everything put away. The whole day's been terrible. And now it's the heat of the day when the fish have gone deep. He's asking him to go out into the deep water where the fish are not going to be. It's like you've got this fisherman that thinks... I mean, this is what he does for a living, and then you have a carpenter coming to him and telling him how to go out and fish. There'd be a little bit of me that's going, okay, let's get this straight of who knows what they're doing here. But yet he says, go out to the deep for this catch. So Peter's answer to him is, Master, we've toiled all night, and we took nothing. Nothing's come in from all of this work. And what if this story ended here? Because Peter could just say, we, we've, we've worked all night long. We've caught nothing. This is pointless. I'm not doing it. I'm ready to go home. End of story. We can leave that story untold. You know, what if Moses did the same, that, that God tells him to go to Pharaoh to say, I'm going to have you release an entire nation of people to bring them out into freedom and to, and to live in this freedom. And Moses just replies to God and goes, I don't speak good can't do it, won't do it, I'm done, and just calls it quits. What if Mary, the mother of Jesus, when God says to her, Mary, I want you to carry the Son of God, and Mary just says, can't happen, I'm a virgin. No. 
All of these stories could go untold because they were unwilling to let Jesus get close. They were unwilling to, to let themselves be a part of God's plan. Because sometimes I think we can see this plan unfold in front of us or God's requesting something of us and it seems too big. Bigger than what I can do. And you know, maybe that's the point. But maybe God's requesting you to do something as well. And you have the same option. You could say, maybe I'm going to end this story and say, can't happen. To God, I don't know my Bible well enough. I can't, I can't do it. No. Or maybe you look at your kids and say, I don't even know how to teach this to my kids. How, how will I spread this to anyone else? And we can just say no. What, what if God says to forgive, and, and we know the Bible tells us to forgive, but we go, you don't understand what this person has done to me. We can go through a lot of hardships and, and think, I know I'm called to be a disciple of God, but I just, I don't know that I'm good enough. I don't know that I've got what it takes. You don't know my past, what I've been through. And we can leave our story untold. But I hope you understand that, that God knew Peter's flaws. He knew all that Peter had been through in his life. He knows all that you have been through, and yet he still calls us. He calls us to go out a little bit deeper, to trust him in what he's asking us to do. And if we will let Jesus get in close, there are some beautiful things that happen here because I love Peter's story doesn't end here. He doesn't just turn Jesus down. He might have even said, Master, we've toiled all night. We took nothing but, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. We see that Peter did not ignore this request. And it's a huge thing that, that we need to listen as well. We can leave our stories untold. We can ignore the requests that God's making in our lives and never find out what happens. What big things God has in store for us if we don't lean in and allow God to get close. So I encourage you to let down your guard to allow Jesus to get in close and not ignore his request that he's making to you. You might find that you let Jesus get close enough in your life that he's able to do some really big, amazing things. Far beyond what we can do ourselves, because that's the thing, we're, we're, it's not supposed to be about us. So the, the, None of us can boast, but instead we can point back and say, look what God has done. And that's right where we head into then as we look at verse 6, is that when we let Jesus get close, he makes the request, we respond to that request, Jesus is going to show up and he's going to remind us of his presence and his power. So as we continue to look then at verse 6, he's requested to put down those nets. Peter puts out the nets and this is they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners to come to the boat and to come and help, and they came and they filled both boats so that they both began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. You know, I think for most fishermen, there is this fisherman's story, you know, that, that you have that story of the fish that you, that you almost caught, right? It's, it's never one that you caught. It's one that almost caught, Right? It's, it's going to be some story that's like, I fought the thing for 30 minutes. It was towing me around the whole lake, just fought the thing forever. My arms were on fire, almost had it in the boat, reached to grab the net to scoop it up, line snapped, got away. Couldn't even get a picture of it, like just missed out. No evidence, just your story to tell, right? But yet here, 
Like this is, this is far from this, this fisherman's story. This huge crowd that's taking all this in, they're getting to watch this unfold. As the nets are being brought in, the boats are weighing heavy, and they're calling for the others to come off of shore to come and help. This catch is so big, they're calling for the boats. They come in, the nets are breaking. Both boats are beginning to sink because there's so many fish. This is huge. But I love that more than just being amazed at this catch, more than this being like some record-breaking catch for Peter, he is amazed at this realization of the power and presence of Jesus. More than just having everybody look and see, he falls down in Jesus' feet. It's unbelievable. He's blown away, but it's, it's almost like this light turns on for Peter, for him to understand who he really is standing in front of. And so he understands the power and the presence of Jesus right in front of him. To, to know the wisdom and guidance is far beyond his own understanding of where to even cast this net. But I think there's another part of that. As that light turns on for him to see who Jesus is, it also lights up his own failures, his own flaws. He has this, this realization of all of his own shortcomings. And I think that we can sit in that same moment like a lot of people do when they understand who Jesus is. It lights up something in ourselves and we understand who we are in his presence. We see that in Isaiah chapter 6. As Isaiah is kind of placed in front of the, God's presence, and Isaiah chapter 6 says that in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And he, they called out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called for the house is filled with smoke. And then Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when we see God for all that he is and all that he's done, his glory makes us aware of our own shortcomings, our own sinfulness, our brokenness. And as much as that can be a downer and make us feel like I'm completely incapable of doing anything, and I thought the, me the point of this message was supposed to be, uh, how do I become a better disciple maker? Great. Now I realize I'm worthless. Not the point I'm trying to get across. But instead, it blows me away that we can look at this and have this feeling of worthlessness, brokenness, sinfulness, and even Peter finds himself in that same state. He throws himself at Jesus' feet, thinking, I'm broken. What good am I for? But this holiness that we stand in front of, it doesn't say to us, go away, to distance yourself. Instead, it says, I'm going to come to you. I'm bringing myself to you into your presence to show you who I am. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But yet we go on two more chapters to, to Romans 5.8. It says that God's love, God shows his love for us in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Christ knows all of our failures, our flaws, our shortcomings, he knows that mess that we've said, I think I'm unusable. He knows all of that. And yet he says, I'm coming to you and I'm asking you, 
would you follow after me? Maybe this blows me away because I think I know my own shortcomings. And even when I've seen God's presence, I've seen God doing amazing things, I can, I can still focus so much on my shortcomings that I'm, I'm not sure what God could do through me. God doesn't leave our story there. He doesn't leave it untold. He's ready to do some big and great things. And what he does next blows me away because he goes, I see the value in you, that you are so valuable, I'm calling you out. I want to recruit you to be on my team, to work with me, a part of this mission that we're on. So if you let Jesus get close, he's going to recruit you to work on mission. Flaws and all, he wants to recruit you. So then verse 9, he goes on to say, that all who were with him were astonished at this catch of fish, right? Those people on the, the crowd on the shore, they've all seen this. They were astonished. And there were also James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. For now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought these boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So this, this whole event happening, unfolding in front of this crowd, because the crowd had gotten too big, I think Jesus was far less concerned about this record-breaking catch or trying to make this a big deal for Peter. To the point that, I, you know, you wonder, did it ever cross Peter's mind to, like, try to recruit Jesus, that, you know, somehow he could grow his business? But instead he says, I'm ready to leave it all. I'm going to leave my entire business, my family, everything. I'm going to leave it all behind for the sake of working with you on mission. And what's the mission of catching men, right? To being a fisher of men. And literally that phrase means to catch men alive. That we are in the work of catching men while we are still here on earth, that we are going to bring them in. So, so this is really disciple-making. We, we want to stress this point that Jesus just doesn't call Peter in addition of one, right? Just to say, I want you to come and be on my team and just to add one person. But he says, I'm going to add you to the team so that you can also go out and get others. We're looking at the, the way that we multiply when we are truly working as disciple-makers. This is a huge life-changing thing that we are called to live by. We're supposed to follow Jesus, and out of the change that's been made in our lives, we then go out to others around us, and we begin to spread this, this news, this message. So Peter, Peter knew that this was a miraculous event. He understood that this, this was far beyond anything that he could do, but because he leaned in, he let Jesus get close, he allowed him to, to actually make a request, he answered it, saw his power and his presence, he saw that he could do something different with his life. I think we have to take note that Peter recognizes his own sin. He repents to fall down at Jesus' feet, and then he shows his willingness to follow after Jesus, to leave everything behind. This is no small thing, and I understand that, that when we're asking you to be disciple-makers, we're asking you to go out where you are in your field, around your circle of people to make disciples. You have connections that you can be making to call others close. 
See, I wonder, as we look at this account in Luke chapter 5, I kind of wonder when, when Jesus is calling us to be disciple makers, if it isn't a little bit of recreating this whole account that we just read. Because I, I want to ask you, could it be that, that there are crowds of people around you that you may be pressed in by day after day that need to know, that need to hear this good news of Jesus? And you're in around them every day and they're just waiting to hear. Could it be that you live there already? And maybe it's that God's calling you out to live a little deeper, to live at a different level that you're not just going to have surface level conversations, but you're going to have some deep truths that you're going to be sharing with those that are pressing in around you. And, and you can think that there's no way that this is going to happen on my own. I can list out the reasons that this is, this is never going to work. This seems impossible. And maybe on your own it is. But with God by your side, nothing is impossible. We can be tempted to call it quits and leave our stories untold. But I love the phrase that says, but when Peter said, but at your word, I'll let down my nets. When God's making this request of you, can you say the same that, but at your word, God, I will listen. I will do what you ask. Could it be that if we, if we refuse to ignore Jesus' call in our lives, that he could use this event, the time that you're in right now, the hardships, the, the, the worst things that are in your life right now, could it be that he could use even that worst day for his glory, to show his power and his presence, maybe not in spite of your inabilities, but maybe through your inabilities? God could do some amazing work, and he could change our lives I think, you could, I think if we all took on this mission of being disciples that make disciples, I think God could bring in such a catch that there's not even a way that these two services could hold the people that would come in. That we would see it bursting at the seams just like the boats were full because of the willingness to follow after Jesus. And imagine the changed lives that would happen around us to Wayne in this whole area, to all of Northeast Nebraska, that this, this whole area could be changed because we took this task seriously. Because, all because it started with this idea of, will you let Jesus get close? As a disciple, I think that's our, our question and what a lot of this hinges on. Will you allow Jesus to get close? Know ahead of time, he's going to make a request. He's going to ask you to do something. And it might seem scary, and it might push you beyond what you think is possible. But in that, he's going to show you his power and his presence. He's going to remind you of all that he can do, even though you feel like you're not capable of it. And there's going to be results that come as we work on mission. So let me ask you the question again. Will you allow Jesus to get close? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that even though you know us so well, better than anyone, even the worst sides of us, you still see our value and you know our purpose and you call us out. God, help us to be bold and courageous that we would trust you and that we would follow after you. We would allow you to get close and just wait to see the catch that comes. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus.